The future of ERP, it's the future of work, it's the future of business, it's the future of society. ERP just reflects the needs of the day. And that's why when you say, well, why should you move to the cloud? It's because it enables you to react faster to meet the needs of the day. Welcome to the Future of ERP podcast. My name's Richard Howells, and I'm a Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP, Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my co-host, IQ. Hello, everyone. My name is Arkilgar. I'm a blogger, marketer, and podcaster in the area of ERP and supply chain at SAP. And today we are going to discuss a recent Harvard Business Review white paper titled How Cloud ERP Transforms Manufacturing. So we are joined by a repeat guest to the podcast, Paul Saunders. Welcome back, Paul. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello, both. Good to see you again. So I'm Paul Saunders. I'm the head of product strategy for Cloud ERP at SAP. And I'm also the chief evangelist for Cloud ERP. So I, I talk about ERP a lot. Well, we're honored to have you on the call then, Paul, with that fancy title. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> so I know you were involved in this paper from Harvard Business Review. Yep. But maybe you can provide a little bit of background about it. When was it written? What was the basis of the research and who should read it and why? Yeah. So we started looking at the end of last year as to kind of what manufacturing companies were doing and particularly around digital transformation and what the impact of pandemic and supply chain challenges. And we didn't know about inflation was going to hit us at that point, but you know, all of these kind of things were, were having. And so we worked with Harvard Business Review. And what they did was to interview some companies to get kind of the real kind of feet on the street sort of view of things. But then also they brought in research from other leading areas like Gartner and Harvard Business Review. And I think they also brought in something from Wipro as well. to so bring all of this stuff in to say, look, we know companies have been doing digital transformation for some time. You know, it wasn't the pandemic that kind of was the impetus for this, but was the pandemic kind of a catalyst maybe or an accelerant into all of these things? And as to who should read it, well, as it says on the board game, everybody from age eight to 80, we know that digital transformation is important, but why now? You know, why in early 2023, with everything else that's going on, why should we do this? And there's some great information, data points, and case studies in that report that I think are very valuable to read. Okay. And you mentioned, you said something that inadvertently, actually, we didn't know about inflation at the time. And no. I think that's part of the problem is that, or the challenge is that there will always be something else. There'll always be something new. There'll be a new challenge. Yep. We're not set in stone and everything will be fine from now on. Things will change. Absolutely. And I, this is one of the key points about why and why now. It's because, you know, there are always some companies out there that would say, look, can I put my head in the sand and hope that all of this blows over and goes away and we can, you know, at some point we'll get back to normal. Um, and if you look now in, in hindsight, you think, oh, remember the days when we only had a pandemic? How wonderful that was. That was the only thing that we had to worry about was a global pandemic. Who would have thought that we would have had boats getting stuck and blocking global supply chains? Who would have thought that we would have terrible global conflict? Even as of yesterday, I, I believe it was that OPEC has made a change and cut their oil production. 
So now you've got the price of oil skyrocketing, adding to inflation, adding to challenges already. So you're absolutely right, Richard. I think there's no way of saying what will tomorrow bring, but there is a way to prepare as best as possible for any challenges that it does bring. That would follow on to my next question around the main message from the research. What, yeah. How do people prepare for the, these challenges? So for a couple of things, as I mentioned, what the research really highlights is that the pandemic was an accelerator. I remember a few years ago, there was kind of a meme online about who drove your digital transformation, a CEO, CFO, CIO, or pandemic. And, you know, what was it that really drove all this? So we know that many companies were saying, okay, yeah, the tech industry in general has been saying we need to transform. But wasn't that all a marketing thing, you know? But now they're like, okay, yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we can't just carry on as we did a decade ago and hope that things don't necessarily change differently. The other thing that came out of the core message of the research was that, and actually Timo from Syntax Systems said this really nicely, that cloud ERP enables companies to focus on their core processes. You know, and you can actually focus on running your business because the, I think he said the software is already running. That's what we're good at SEP is making and running software for business, complex business process for companies of all shapes and sizes. You know, we don't make cars, we don't make helicopters, we don't provide government services, but we enable all of those things to happen. So by focusing on what can we standardize on, what can we put in the cloud, then how can we focus on what's really important to us? Those are the things. And one of the points that was really important for all of this is that it's the data that drives all of this stuff that enables companies to do things differently. Without changing how you do anything, without updating any of your data, without making sure that you're confident in the data itself is largely pointless. You know, it, nothing will change. But if you have good quality data and that data can help you make confident business decisions, then you can really do something different. My question is going to be about the challenges of traditional ERP systems. Why are companies looking to move into cloud and what kind of benefits do they expect to see after this transition? Great question. The piece that I would say to start with, it's not just about traditional ERP systems, but it's about traditional ERP thinking and traditional business mindsets. I mean... ERP systems are, and I, Conway's law, wasn't it? Conway's law said that companies create systems that are a reflection of their organizational complexity. And I think you often get it as well where people say, look, you know, we've always done things this way and we're not going to change. So they're buying a new system, implementing a new process and so on, but refusing to change will not do anything for you. And for those companies that are saying, look, we want to move to the cloud, I think it's about we want to or we need to be able to change our mindset from this is how we've always done stuff to this is what we need to do today and this is what we might need to do tomorrow. And so then the next part with that is, well, what is it that we do today? Because I think a lot of companies often start off with, we're going to do this because it will improve, you know, 
productivity, it will increase our margins, it will make our employees happier and customers will love us. Well, great. Okay. <laughs> How exactly? What is it that you need to do? And so then you start to look at your existing processes. And if you look at the, some of the stuff that SAP Signavio does, which I think is really, really cool stuff, it's to kind of look at what are the processes that a company does today? And then how can they change to improve particular things? Not just we want to be better, but we want to make this particular thing better. When you talk about moving to cloud, I would say it's technology. It's always people, process, and technology. We know that. And people, you know, as humans, the hardest part because it's hard to change. You know, we want everybody else to change, but we don't want to change ourselves. And the three of us are no different from anybody else with that stuff. My former colleague at Gartner, Dave Aaron, who is, I think, one of the brightest minds in technology today and has been for a number of years, he had this wonderful phrase, you need to have humble disrespect for yourself, for your company, for your industry, for your customers, and so on. So you can say, look, yeah, that's good how we do this, but actually there might be a better way to do it. And I actually might not know the best way to do it. So that is a very long rambling way of saying the technology is important, the cloud stuff is important, but the companies that, and certainly the ones that came up in this Harvard Business Review case study, it was about the approach first. Why do we do this and how can we adapt our processes and our mindset to do things differently? I think that's true of any technology as well as business system is work out what the problem is and what you're trying to achieve before you start anything. Because if you start with no goal in mind, you don't know when you get there. Absolutely. And I'll give you a quick example. I spoke with a company many years ago, a very, very large company, and they were doing a large quote unquote digital transformation and they had budgeted 160 million euros for this transformation. And I was brought in as, quote, an expert. My first question to the leadership team of this company, who had already, by the way, signed off on this 160 million, was when this program is complete, what will you be able to do that you can't do today? And what impact will it have on your customer's journey? And there was no answer. Wow. The view was, we'll have some new software. And I said, well, if that's all you want, you can do it for a lot less than 160 million, <laughs> you know? And yet it's that thing about, I want you to build me a building. It's like, okay, what sort of building? Well, better one than we've got now. You know, it's like, okay, but what's it going to be used for? What do you mean by better? There's no rocket science in any of this. You just start from, okay, well, what does a day in the life of look like, you know, X number of years out, and then you work your way back to the technology. Yeah. I mean, the, the paper itself, it talked about the concept of a cloud leader. And obviously, it, yep. those leaders are doing some of the things you've already said. But yes, what are some of, what are some of the other traits of these cloud leaders? What, what are they doing differently that set them apart from others? They can get into new markets faster. All of that is to do with flexibility, agility, and execution. But yep. what you can say is, if I'm running my solution in the cloud, if my non-differentiated processes are running, if my limited resources are focused on what differentiates me to my customer, 
then I can deliver new innovation faster. Then I can provide better customer service. Then I can make my customers happier and so on. And then I think with the return on investment, this comes back to what we were just saying about what is it you're actually trying to do? The return on investment, you have to be able to say, okay, well, how am I going to measure that? If you don't know how to measure it, then you know, you're never going to succeed. There's that wonderful quote from, I think it was the Cheshire Cat in Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, who said, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any path will take you there. Yep. It might've been the Mad Hatter. I'm not sure. Those kind of things we have to say, okay, well, let's be able to measure this. And I, you know, the number of companies that I've spoken with in my career who have really been able to have a very solid business case and then have truly gone back and said, look, this is what we said we were going to do. These were our critical to success factors. Did we meet them? How did we measure them? You know, is there something you could count them on one hand? And the thing is, there's nothing specific to ERP there, Richard, as you said, there's nothing specific, certainly to SAP. This is just the basics of how are we going to measure success? Running ERP in the cloud enables them to focus on what makes them successful. I think the thing that I love about SAP in particular, apart from the fact that I work here, is we're not the stars of the show. And we don't try to be. Our job is to be the roadies, the sound guys, the lighting technicians, the ticket sellers, and everything else to enable our customers to be the star of the show for their audience. We know our software works. We know our processes are really good. The important thing is how can we then help our customers shine to their customers? Again, a very long-winded way of telling you what was in the paper. Based on this paper, Paul, when it yep. comes to cloud, which industries are leading the way? If you think about the average automotive company, all this automotive company used to have to do in the past was make a car, have it come off the production line every 45 seconds or whatever it was, and sell a car. That was it. And as long as the car was good and you know reliable and fairly economical and everything else, that was it. Now you think about what these car companies are doing. You can get a car as kind of a lease sort of thing or a subscription. And with that car comes the insurance and the maintenance. And it's an electric vehicle and it, com you know, that it comes with the charging capabilities. It comes with an electricity plan that gives you discounted charging overnight. All of these things that come together. Now, if they just focus on, well, we've always just made a car, then they can't do any of that. You know, all of these mobility solutions that they're doing. Then it's moving on to, okay, well, how do we invest into battery technology so that the batteries become more and more efficient? How do we invest into smart cities? Will there be a point when people don't buy cars anymore, you know, because the cars will be self-driving and, and so on? To be honest, I hope not because I like driving cars. I'm a terrible passenger, but I think some automotive is one. High tech, of course, and high tech has to be by its very nature. Construction industry, you know, if I had any engineering and artistic talent, of which I don't, I would have loved to have been an architect. I love architecture, whether that is a 13th century castle or it's a bridge, but you look at construction and the technologies and how they build these things and how they assemble it and all of this sort of stuff, all of these companies, 
they're smart companies. It's not like we're saying, hey, we're SEP, this is ERP, let us teach you a new way of doing things. They do this in their business. We're just saying, bring the same innovation that you deliver to your customers into your business systems. So I think those are the kind of companies that are doing this and they're leveraging cloud to be able to do it. Cloud, you need to be able to think about how can I do something different, more value added, that will provide better value to my customer by leveraging the cloud. That's the simple way of doing it. You just mentioned innovation yep. and enabling innovation with business systems. And earlier you talked about standardizing your core processes. Yes. Uh, those that are non-differentiating so that you can focus on innovation. I'm hearing a lot about this concept of a clean core for the yes. business system. So maybe you can elaborate a bit on what is a clean core and sure. how yeah. do you benefit from that? Clean core is quite simple and it's very much like Gartner's idea of a system of record, which comes from pace layering, which actually doesn't come from Gartner originally. They leveraged it for a technology perspective. But it, you think about you have your system of record. So the things that you have to do as a business that don't differentiate you to your customer, but you have to do them well. If you can standardize on those, and there's no reason that you can't, but if you can, then that clean core can just run and it can optimize and it can kind of tick along. And this is where companies like SAP invest into robotic process automation and into machine learning and so on. So these processes get better and better over time, faster and faster, more and more accurate and so on. If you can do that, then you can spend more and more of your time, people, and money on what differentiates you to your customer. And that's what Gartner refers to as its system of differentiation. So there's most of the elements of the clean core are the same for companies of any size, any industry, any geography, and so on. One company's differentiation, though, could be different from somebody else's. So a manufacturing company, they might differentiate not based on price, on quality. They might be more expensive, but the quality that you get is second to none. So their differentiation will be, okay, how do we drive better quality into our product? And that's where the clean core comes in. And then the innovative piece, and this is really what kind of buys longevity in any company. That's the thing that if your system of record, your clean core is working well, your differentiation is bringing those customers to you and providing you good customer success and so on. Your innovation is what keeps you ahead of the competition. But most companies historically spend all their time, effort, and money on the system of record. They didn't have a clean core. They customized it too much. Their business got more and more complicated and slower and slower and slower. And then one day they found out that actually new competitors were much more nimble than they were. That's when things start to get tough. So clean core, it's not a nice to have, it's an essential and it's always been an essential. I think it's just getting a new prominence now with cloud ERP in particular with public cloud ERP. Right. Thank you. Leading manufacturers were asked about the benefits they are seeing of adopting cloud-based ERP in production and business operations. More than 40% stated that they are using cloud ERP to accelerate innovation. Could you please expand on how ERP helps forward-thinking companies to drive innovation? Ever since I've been involved in ERP, I've been told that ERP is very boring back office and nobody cares about it. 
And ERP has nothing to do with customer success. It has nothing to do with customer satisfaction, and it has nothing to do with innovation. What companies have found, certainly, you know, manufacturing companies, certainly during the pandemic and these recent turbulent times, is nothing could be further from the truth. I always talk about that there is no such thing anymore. And to be honest, I don't think there ever was a front end and back end, you know, things that were, you know, this is customer facing, this is not. So think about having a wonderful quote unquote front end experience. You buy something, you have a lovely experience picking something out and so on. But then the product, when you get it, is the wrong size, the quality is terrible, it wasn't as it was described, the price wasn't correct, and so on. You can't say, well, I had a lovely time picking it out. It's the same thing when it comes to innovation. You can't innovate on an unstable foundation. So everything that a company does comes back to the financial flow and the material flow or the service flow if you're a service company. You know, it's about how do we make something? How do we get a little bit of profit? How do we employ people and so on? If you can get all of that stuff running really, really well, then you focus on, okay, but what is it we actually do as a company? What is it that is innovative for us? Why would somebody come and buy something from us? And even going back, you asked about industries earlier, which industries were leading. And I said, it kind of depends. It does depend because it also means what do we mean by leading? If you think about aviation, for example, it, you've got some airlines that differentiate based on a wonderful travel experience. Singapore Airlines is a wonderful example of that. If you've ever flown Singapore Airlines, it, it's like you've died and gone to heaven. It is just lovely. I mean, the experience is spectacular. But they're not the cheapest at all. And then you could say, okay, well, I've got a low-cost airline like a Wizz Air or Orion or, or a Frontier in America and so on. And then people say, well, they're not as good as Singapore. It's like, no, completely, completely wrong because their differentiation is they provide a no-frills, low-cost service, and they get you there to your location when you need to get there you know, safely on time and for a low-cost. Different differentiation, same industry, same large you know, sort of thing. So... Innovation varies as well on those things. And I think some of these manufacturing companies that are highlighted in this paper are showing really interesting things around how you can innovate and innovate differently, even within the same industry. Some of the cool examples that I saw in the paper were around manufacturing companies that are innovating and differentiating themselves through bringing to market connected products, smart products. Yes. Or, yeah. or individualized products and being able to build products based on the same foundation, but then modifying and customizing them at will. Yes. And we also talked a lot about resiliency and responsiveness to change. And you talked about have, being able to have the flexibility, agility and execution. So let's talk a little bit more about that resiliency and how companies are enabling that to deliver connected products, individualized products, and also another topic in the white paper, smart factory and the factory of the future. So a few things there, Richard, the resiliency to start with, because it's a lovely marketing buzzword, but it actually does really mean something important. And I'll give you a, a personal example of that. A little bit over a year ago, I placed an order for a new car, and this was when 
you know, supply chain challenges were really starting to hurt the automotive company. If you remember, we had a chip shortage. So everybody, every technology company, every automotive company, everybody was trying to get the same chips. I have an electric car. As they get more and more computerized, for want of a better word, they need more and more chips. So the original car that I placed an order for was very innovative, had a wonderful brand, wonderful experience, and so on. This front-end and back-end thinking, the only problem was they couldn't build it for me. They didn't have the parts because their supply chain was not resilient. The vehicle itself, I'm sure, was lovely, but you actually have to be able to build it. You know, yeah. So I then switched to another vehicle maker, and my car is just as lovely, but their supply chain resilience meant they could actually get it to me. And you know, at some point, you have to say, okay, well, having something tangible from a manufacturer is quite important. You know, the promise physical goods have to arrive. Yes. So, you know, SAP again, we've been talking about this lot size of one for a long time. This individual, so it's mass market, but it's my mass market. I want it yep. just for me because I'm a consumer. That's all I care. I'm a very selfish consumer. I want <laughs> this made exactly the way I want it, you know? If you think about this lot size of one and you think about what we've talked about with system of record, system of differentiation, clean core, and so on, it's similar sort of things that you have a base platform that you build things from, yep. and then those would be your system of record kind of capabilities. And then you have different things on top of that that will vary from customer to customer or product to product and so on. So in your car example, that would be the chassis and battery, maybe the non-differentiating exactly. things, but... Exactly. And then you... Yeah. And then you can say, right then, well, I want it to be this, 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 and this. Now, there's only so far that you can go with that lot size of one. So I couldn't say to my car company, I would like all of that, and I want it to be amphibious. They were like, you know, probably not yeah. going to happen. Well, but there's a configuration that's acceptable, and it's any combination of that configuration. Exactly. Exactly. And I think this is where it can vary. You've got companies that you can go and custom design a pair of shoes and have them in the color and the pattern that you want. Not that it really impacts me because I, I wear the same black, whatever they are. But, you know, you can say, right, then I want to have a pair of, I think, you know, and don't quote me on this, but I think Converse does this. You can go and get a pair of Converse and say, look, I want them to be, you know, this pattern on this side and this pattern on that side and this size and so on. And they'll make them for you. That's incredible stuff. And you're seeing more and more of these kind of things. It's the same thing when it comes to, um, to construction, particularly residential construction. You know, I want to be able to have a house and I want this, 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 and this. I built to my specification, but from component parts. So with all of this, you don't think, well, I purchased this because they're running cloud ELP. No, cloud ERP is what enables these companies to be able to do these differentiated things to their customers, to be able to provide that lot size of one, to be able to manage connectivity. Because I think the, the other thing that comes into this is that you're seeing more and more co-innovation and co-productivity kind of things where companies are working together to deliver a service. So 
again, to use my car analogy, and I know I get accused of using car analogies too much, but I like my car, so I'm going to. With my car, there is a co-innovation. The car manufacturer provides bits of it, but then they are partnered with an electricity company who provides that. They've partnered with an electric charging company who provides that piece. They've partnered with a mobility company, which they, I think, primarily own. But all of these things come together because I need the overall experience of all of these things working, not just a collection of individual pieces. And that's the value-added services that can differentiate you from your competition. Well, absolutely. And I think then you have to end up with the overall experience is greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. And as long as that is always thought of, the overall experience, it's no good saying, you know, here's the individual pieces. And I'll give you another terrible analogy that goes along with this. So if it's a nice hot day and you're thinking, I would love to have an ice cream cone, you know, one of those ones in the UK, we call them a 99. So it's an ice cream cone with a chocolate bar stuck in it and, you know, sprinkles and syrup and whatever it might be on it. You can't say, well, if I go to one place and they dump a load of ice cream in my hand and then somebody else puts a cone in the other hand somebody sticks a chocolate flake in my mouth and then somebody sprinkles all over me, that you can say, well, you've got all the pieces. It's exactly the same. No, it's not. That's not the experience I was looking for. Yes, I've technically got all the pieces, but it's all of the things coming together to provide this experience that I want. And you could also say, well, it's a hot day. You can just have a glass of water. Not the same experience. That's, I think, where all of these companies are coming together with this co-innovation and co-productivity to really be able to differentiate into the market. Okay, so I've looked at the clock again and we're coming towards the end of the discussion. So maybe the one final question that I've asked you before, but I'll ask you again because we ask everybody. In your opinion, what is the future of ERP? The future of ERP, it's the future of work, it's the future of business, it's the future of society. ERP just reflects the needs of the day. And that's why when you say, well, why should you move to the cloud? It's because it enables you to react faster to meet the needs of the day. So the future of ERP is just, you know, the future of business and the future of business is the future of what customers demand, what society demands, and hopefully with sustainability, what benefits all of us. As you say, the future of ERP is whatever the customer wants and however the business changes. The ERP has to adapt to respond to that and to drive that. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks, Paul, for a great conversation as ever. Thank you both. It was a lot of fun, as always. If you're listening to it, you can't tell, but my dog loved every second of it. He's absolutely (laughs) thrilled. I'm glad to hear we've got a new follower. Yes. He's heard me talk about ERP way too much. Well... Thanks, Paul, and thanks everyone for listening. If you're interested in learning more about the Harvard Business Review paper, we'll include it in the show notes. So just scroll down and click on the link. And also, please mark us as a favorite so you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. But until next time, from Paul, Oiku, and I, thanks for discussing the future of ERP.